The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. On a Sabbath, Jesus went to dine at the home of one of the leading Pharisees, and the people there were observing him carefully. He told a parable to those who had been invited, noticing how they were choosing, to place, choosing the places of honor at the <clears throat> table. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not recline at table in the place of honor. A more distinguished guest than you may have been invited by him, and the host who invited both of you may approach you and say, give your place to this man. And then you would proceed with embarrassment to take the lowest place. Rather, when you are invited, go and take the lowest place, so that when the host comes to you, he may say, my friend, Move up to a higher position. Then you will enjoy the esteem of your companions at the table. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Then he said to the host who invited him, When you hold a lunch or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your wealthy neighbors, in case they may invite you back and you have repayment. Rather, when you hold the banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Blessed indeed will you be because of their inability to repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning, everybody. Praise God. Another Sunday. Let's dive in. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So as many of you know, we're back in that back-to-school fever, aren't we? All the, all the kids are excited, the teachers less so excited because they're, they're stressing out, you just see their faces. It's amazing because many of our, as, as many of you know, many of our parishioners are teachers, both, both places, so it's utterly amazing. And it's always exciting to see the kids getting all, all prepared for it. You have to go school shopping, you have to buy your new backpacks, you got to buy your new clothes, you got to look nice, you got to get a haircut, you got to take a shower for the first time all summer long. It's, it's uh, <laughs> It's an amazing thing. That's why it's so exciting, though, the energy now, as everyone, Portola, Loros, are back in school. But notice, whenever a student walks into a classroom, no matter if you're in elementary school, junior high, high school, or in college, every student, there's a presumption of the gap, isn't there? Think about it. 
Every time a student walks into a room, there's a presumption that they have a gap of knowledge that they're going into that room to be filled. Does that make sense? If I walk into my algebra class, I'm presuming I walk into that door and I say, whether you think about it or not, I walk in there saying, you know what, I have a gap in my algebra knowledge. And Mr. and Mr. So-and-so, Mr. Rosecrans, has to fill that knowledge, that gap, right, with his information. Or if you're starting to be an engineer and I walk into my thermodynamics class, I walk in with the presumption that there's a gap in my thermodynamic knowledge, just like all of us, right? What the heck does that class even mean, right? But we walk in, and we all know that I need something. And even every teacher in here, you presume there's a gap. Because you have, say, you got 35 kids in front of you. You have 35 minds to fill, don't you? Every student must presume a gap. You know, when I was a sophomore in, in college, I, was, I went to a junior college because uh, I decided to go to junior college route because I didn't want to graduate with huge mounds of debt, you know, as students do, because college is crazy expensive, as we all know. And so I went the junior high, or the junior, the junior college route. And in my sophomore year, I was taking an English class. And before I would turn in a paper, I would go to the library, and we had what's called, and I'm sure many universities have this, they call it, at least in my school, a writing lab. You would go in, and you bring in your paper, and they would have tutors that are usually students, and you say, hey, I got a paper due in a week, proofread my paper. And they would. They would correct all of, the, all of your missing commas and paragraphs or run-on sentences. They'll tell you to move this paragraph to here. This idea is confusing. <laughs> Fix it. And, and so I would go every time before I turn the paper, help me. And one particular day, I walked in, and lo and behold, the tutor for this session <coughs> happened to be my English teacher, Mrs. Abraham. So remember her name, Mrs. Abraham. I said, oh, Mrs. Abraham, I got to turn in a paper from you in about a week. Could you proofread my paper? Utterly amazed. I felt like I was cheating. Can you imagine? Your own teacher is proofreading their paper, who you're going to turn into. So you know it's a guaranteed A as long as you followed her rules. <laughs> so it's utterly amazing. Miss Abraham, proofread my paper. And so I would go to her, and she'd proofread my paper. And then one day, she asked me, Brian, what are your plans after this? I said, oh, um, I'm just going to transfer. I'm going to transfer to, I already had a school in Milan, transfer to this school. And she said, oh, really? Have you thought about transferring to a UC university? I said, no, I can't. Uh, I'm, all the excuses. I, I'm not smart enough academically. Uh, I, I don't know if I can succeed there. No, I said, I'm going to settle for this, this school. I'm going to go there. And she looked at me very seriously. She said, Brian, I went to UC Berkeley full scholarship full ride. You are a better writer at, at your age than I was when I was the same age as you. You can succeed. I said, you, you, you think so? 
And then, of course, when someone says that to you, your chest kind of puffs up. I can succeed there? I said, yes, you can. Do you see the power of a teacher, by the way? See the power of a teacher that can do that? And so literally the next day, I set up an appointment with my academic counselor, and we laid out a path. And I would eventually, out of all the schools I applied to, I eventually got into the University of California, Davis. And amazingly, as you already know the story, it was at Davis now when I transferred there where my faith just exploded, right? My faith deepened. I was set on fire for Jesus Christ at UC Davis. It was amazing. And that was where I discovered my vocation to be a Catholic priest was precisely there. And everything just took off there. My life is different now because I went to that school. But it all began because I first recognized that I needed help. I recognized my gap. And Mrs. Abraham came in, and, and it's all providence, and it's amazingly, she's called her name's Abraham, by the way. If you know anything about the Bible, that's huge. So that's, that's not by accident, by the way. As the readings attest today, we must be humble. You see, humility, as our Lord here in the beautiful first reading from the book of Sirach says, my child, conduct your affairs with humility. See, humility is a recognition that we need something. That we need someone's help. And it is only when we recognize that need now can we finally learn. That is why Jesus is so emphatic in the gospel reading today, isn't he? In that beautiful parable where, where, where he says the proud person is trying to jockey for position. Why? Because someone ever can look at him. Look how amazing I am sitting at the head of the table. He says, no, don't be like that. You see, a good Christian is like a good student. A good Christian recognizes, I need you, Jesus. See, a proud person doesn't say that. The great 20th century author C.S. Lewis, he wrote in his, in his powerful, powerful, most famous, one, probably one of the most famous works in Christianity, called Mere Christianity. He writes about the vice of pride. He said pride is the most diabolical of attitudes. Pride is the most anti-God. Because in pride, what a pride is, pride is the preoccupation with one's own excellence. Look how amazing I am. Look how amazing. You see, the reason why it's so diabolical, pride, is because a prideful person doesn't need anything, do they? A prideful person doesn't need help. A prideful person, ironically, doesn't even realize they have pride. They're so big, they can't even see themselves. They're too busy looking down on other people. They're too busy, preoccupied with how amazing they are. See, a prideful person doesn't need a savior. You see, my friends, as Christians, we are called to need, to recognize all things come from God. 
Which is one of the reasons why I love our faith, by the way. And I love coming to Mass. Because you notice, again, when we come to Mass, built in to the Mass is a recognition of the gap. Built in the Mass is where Jesus now will model humility. Jesus, who will make himself small and to allow himself to be transformed and to turn himself into a piece of bread and into a sip of wine, who will make himself so humble, again, bread and wine, nothing, staples of food, allow himself to be received in that way. And our Lord now, who will make himself humble, who will allow us, humanity, to eat of him in order to fill the gap. And even the confessional, recognizing the confessional. I love confession. I love going to confession. And I hope you do too. Because going to confession, you are recognizing, Jesus, I need your mercy. Do you see that? It's built into the confessional. That when I walk into the confessional room and I, and I get down on my knees and I say, Jesus, forgive me. Recognition of the gap. It is now when we finally recognize our deep need for Jesus Christ. Where God can finally say, ah, now you are ready to become the person I created you to be. And my friends, that only will happen if we're humble. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.